Welcome back to the UFO and Aliens podcast. I'm your host, Rick Black. It's been really nice here in the afternoon, so I've been able to walk Charlie when I get home. It hasn't been too hot. We go on this long walk about a mile and a half, and we pass by two ponds. I've been seeing a little alligator, maybe about three feet long, in one pond or the other. Well, not on the pond, but on the banks lying in the sun. Well, this last walk we went on, the alligator was in the water, and on our side of the pond, all you could see it was the end of his nose and his little eyes sticking out of the water. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you could walk right past it without even knowing it was there. This big white egret landed not too far from the alligator and started walking slowly along the bank. I stopped to see what would happen when it got close to the alligator. I thought I might be able to see some nature happening right in front of me. The egret stopped right in front of the alligator, lowered its head, and looked right at it. It was only a couple of inches away from the alligator. If the alligator wanted to bite that bird, it would not be a problem, but the alligator didn't flinch. It just sat there totally still. I thought that was pretty cool. Charlie didn't know why we stopped, so we went on. If you've been listening, you know that at the end of the podcast, I ask if you have a UFO story that you'd like to share, then send me an email. I then give you my email address. I haven't received a single email from a listener, which is okay. If you don't want to say anything, that's fine. I know you're listening because I get reports on downloads. But then I get a message on Messenger asking if UFOs and Aliens is my podcast. Yes, it is. This person has been trying to send his story in, but wasn't able to. But I've been giving my email address out. What's up with that? I must have messed up somewhere. So I sent something to myself, and I didn't get it. I went back, and I checked the email address and found it. I've been asking you to send your stories to UFO and Aliens podcast at gmail.com, but the email address actually is UFO and Alien podcast at gmail.com. There's no S after alien. So if you try to send me an email, whether it's a story you want me to look into or to tell your story, please try again. The address is UFO AND A-L-I-E-N podcast at gmail.com. So here's the story that's been waiting all this time to be told. His name is Rich Starbird, and this is his story. It was in New Hampshire just after Christmas in either 1973 or 74. Rich's mother had just given him a 10-speed bike for Christmas. During this time, Rich used to take the laundry to the laundromat. He would take it up there, ride home, and then go back and put it in the dryer. On one particular night, there was about a foot of snow on the ground and a thick crust on top. Rich took the bag of clothes on his bike and was coming out of the driveway when he noticed a glow on the snow near the road. He looked up and saw a round silhouette with three lights in a triangle shape. This scared Rich so much that he turned his bike around and rode over the some of the crust of the snow to head back to the house. As he turned to look over his shoulder, the UFO was gone. He went on back to the house anyway. Later, in the same week, he saw in the Dover, New Hampshire, Foster's Daily Democrat newspaper, there had been multiple reports in the area. In fact, the Dover, New Hampshire police had reported seeing a UFO. Rich tried researching, but never found anything. I don't know if he searched back in 1974 or later, 
But if it was back then, it would have been really hard to find anything. Now with the internet, it can still be pretty hard to find specific things like this incident. Back when people first started using the term UFOs, most reports were of disc-shaped objects in the sky. But since then, there have been UFOs in many shapes and sizes reported. There are saucers, eggs, hats, cigars, boomerangs, light bulbs, and most recently, Tic Tacs. One of the most commonly reported shapes is actually V-shaped, arrowhead, or triangular. David Marler, a UFO researcher and author of Triangular UFOs, An Estimate of the Situation, says that he has received more than 17,000 case files involving unidentified triangular craft that are sometimes referred to as black triangles. Whether the sightings represent an advanced U.S. spycraft, as some speculate, or something from somewhere else remains to be seen. October 10th, 2006, in Point McKenzie, Alaska, a man with decades of experience in the military and aviation industry saw a very large, totally silent, triangular-shaped craft. This is a single witness whose name has been withheld. The following is directly from the witness. I quote, I came out of my friend's home and noticed these lights through the trees. I thought it was an aircraft, so I started driving down the drive and kept looking at the lights. By the time I got to the end of the driveway, I was wondering what kind of aircraft it was. I tried to turn off my radio. I hit the button twice, and the radio came back on. So I turned my car off. Still, no engine noise from the craft, which at this point was about 300 feet to 600 feet in altitude and approximately a quarter of a mile from me. At this point, the craft turned right. That's when the outline of a triangle-shaped craft was visible because there was a whitish glowing light. That's when I knew this was not like any aircraft that I had ever seen before. When the craft turned, it didn't bank like an airplane. It looked almost like it was sliding. Then I drove down the Hazel Road to Becker Lake to get a better look at it. It was almost parallel with me. I went to the corner and stopped and turned off my engine. Still, there was no engine noise. At this point, the craft turned left toward Point McKenzie. It looked like it was traveling around 50 miles per hour. Then it went out of sight. End quote. There is a, there is a drawing of this craft, just a rough sketch, but it is an equilateral triangle, with each side of the triangle being about 200 feet long at least. There were steady white lights on all three corners of the craft and a red beacon in the center. That's the same description that I've heard in other cases as well, and you'll hear some more later. On Sunday, July 6, 1997, at about 6.30, four people are riding in a car driving back from a volleyball tournament in Perth, Scotland. It was a beautiful, clear summer night, and they had just passed Stirling when a man in the front passenger seat noticed a strange object directly above the road in front of them. He asked the driver if he could see it, and the answer was yes. He asked the driver, have you seen anything like it before? No. It was hard to tell exactly how big the craft was or the distance from the car. The best guess of the witness was that it was wider than the wingspan of a small two-seater airplane and was flying no more than a few hundred feet above them. They were fairly close and got a very good look at the craft as they approached it and then passed underneath it. The underside appeared to be very smooth. They couldn't see any height to it at all. They must have been going 
either very slow or just hovering because they caught up to it pretty quick. They were traveling at about 80 miles per hour. The driver asked, quote, do you see which way it's moving? No. The craft was perfectly triangular, except for a rectangular bar at the front of the craft. It was totally black. There were no markings of any kind, and there didn't seem to be a source of propulsion. As they drove under it, they couldn't hear any noise. If they hadn't seen it, they could have just driven right under it without knowing it was there. All four people in the car saw it. The two in the front probably had the best view, and the whole encounter took only a minute or so from the time they first saw it to when they had gone so far past it they couldn't see it anymore. There was a fair amount of traffic, so they couldn't have been the only ones to see it. The witness in this sighting was about 31 years old and in his final year of college. He was traveling with acquaintances that were giving him a ride from the volleyball tournament that they had just been playing in. One witness was a policeman, one was a teacher, and the witness didn't know the occupation of the fourth passenger. He didn't think that this was some sort of stealth aircraft because he didn't see anything underneath that would indicate joints for landing gear or any sign of propulsion. Plus, it wasn't moving fast enough to be a conventional aircraft. On October 30th, 1994, at about 1.45 a.m., a couple in a car see a luminous circle of lights turning on itself and the edge of which lights are evenly spaced. It is about 15 to 20 feet from above the car and is not moving. The car leaves quickly, but a little further finds the craft in front of the vehicle. It was a triangle with equilateral sides about 30 feet long. The car was going about 50 miles per hour and the craft followed them. When they changed directions... The witnesses said, as they saw it fly away, it looked more like it had a boomerang shape. At the same time, another couple in a different car also witnessed the craft. It remains unexplained. On February 2, 1990, a soundless flying triangle was seen near Hamburg, Germany by an amateur astronomer when he looked at the sky to observe the stars at 1.15 a.m., The 230-foot-long triangle was surrounded by a luminous dust, and the three corners were pinkish luminous rings. The altitude was approximately 1,000 feet. In about eight seconds, the triangle moved from the zenith to the horizon, in the direction of the city of Hamburg, where it vanished in the dust. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. On November 22nd, 1989, at 9 p.m., a man and his wife were in the backyard of their house in Cooper City, Florida, waiting for the launching of the space shuttle when they saw a very large, dark triangle flying from east to west. It was completely silent. They counted seven circular white lights on the underside. The triangle craft was moving really fast, and it was surrounded by a white haze. 
The lights on the underside were not flashing or pulsating. The craft was darker than the night sky. It appeared to be heading from east to southwest from the ocean from the Fort Lauderdale area towards the Everglades. The altitude was no more than a mile, and what impressed them both was the speed, shape, lights, and silence of the craft. The witnesses, who asked to remain anonymous, are considered to be very reliable witnesses. The husband has been a senior law enforcement official for several decades. How many is that? Um, Six, I think. Just scratching the surface here. From October 1989 through 1990, hundreds of reports of lighted objects frequently described as enormous and triangular in shape were recorded in Belgium. Air Force supersonic F-16 jets chased these giant triangles, which were simultaneously tracked by both airborne and ground radars. The Belgian government cooperated fully with the civilian UFO investigators, which has never happened before. Among the thousands of witnesses were many police officers, pilots, scientists, and engineers. The wave was documented by the Belgian Society for the Study of Space Phenomena, SOBEPS, a private organization from Brussels, which published two thick volumes on the UFO wave. The first important case was a multiple witness observation of a strange aircraft, reported by the police on patrol near the town of Eupen, not far from the German border. August Miesen, professor of physics at the Catholic University in Louvain, Louvain, and a scientific consultant of SOBEPS, summarized the case. Quote, On November 29, 1989, a large craft with triangular shape flew over the town of Eupen. The police from Montigny and Nicole found it near the road linking Aix-la-Chapelle and Eupen. It was stationary in the air above the field, which it illuminated with three powerful beams. The beams emanated from a large circular surface near the triangle's corners. In the center of the dark, flat understructure, there was some kind of red gyrating beacon. The object did not make any noise. When it began to move, the gendarme, the police, headed towards a small road in the area over which they expected the object to fly. Instead, it made a half turn and continued slowly in the direction of Yupin, following the road at low altitude. It was seen by different witnesses as it flew above houses and near City Hall. End quote. That's the exact same description as a UFO in McKenzie, Alaska in 2006. Sightings continued to be logged by SOBEPS and the police during the fall and winter of 1989 and 90. Most witnesses described seeing dark triangular objects with white lights on the corners and a red flashing light in the middle. Many of the objects were said to have hovered, with some of them suddenly accelerating to a very high speed. Most of the objects made no sound, but some were said to have emitted a faint humming like an electric motor. Public interest in the wave reached its peak with the radar, visual, and jet scramble incident on the night of March 30th and 31st, 1990. This scramble was seen and reported by hundreds of citizens. A preliminary report prepared by Major Lambrix of the Belgian Air Force General Staff was released to SOBEPS. The report concerning the observation of UFOs during the night of March 30 to 31, 1990, 
includes a detailed chronology of events and dismisses several hypotheses such as optical illusions, balloons, meteorological inversions, military aircraft, holographic projections, etc. The incident began at 10.50 p.m. on March 30th when the police called the radar master controller at Glons to report three unusual lights forming an equilateral triangle. More police confirmed the lights in the following minutes. When the nearby NATO facility detected an unknown target at 11.49 p.m., a decision to scramble two F-16 fighters was made. The jets took, the jets took off at 12.05 a.m. from the nearest airbase on March 31st and flew just over an hour, according to Major Lambrick's report. Quote, the aircraft had brief radar contacts on several occasions, but the pilots at no time established visual contact with the UFOs. Each time the pilots were able to secure a lock on one of the targets for a few seconds, there resulted a drastic change in the behavior of the detected targets. During the first lock-on, at 12.13, their speed changed in a minimum of time from 150 to 970 knots. That's 170 to 1,100 miles per hour, and from 9,000 to 5,000 feet, returning then to 11,000 feet in order to change again to close to ground level, end quote. Although many aspects of this case still remain unexplained, Meeson and Sobeps have basically accepted the Gilmore-Salmon hypothesis that some of the radar contacts were really angels caused by a rare meteorological phenomenon. This became evident in four lock-ons where the object descended to the ground with calculations showing, showing negative altitude. It was evidently impossible that an object could penetrate the ground, but it was possible that the ground could act as a mirror. Meeson explained how the high velocities measured by the Doppler radar of the F-16s might result from interference effects. He points out, however, that there is another radar trace for which there is no explanation to date. As for the visual sightings of this event by the police and others, Meeson suggests that they could possibly have been caused by stars seen under conditions of exceptional atmospheric refraction. In a recent interview, Major General Dubauer summarized his reflections on this complex case. Quote, what impressed me the most were the witnesses, some of whom I know personally and convinced me that, in fact, something was going on. These were credible people and they told clearly what they saw. We always look for possibilities which can cause errors in the radar systems. We cannot conclude that there was electromagnetic interference, but, of course, we cannot exclude the possibility that there were objects in the air. On at least one occasion, there was a correlation between the radar contacts in one ground radar and one F-16 fighter. This weakens the theory that all radar contacts were caused by electromagnetic interference. If we add all the possibilities, the question is still open, so there is no final answer. End quote. The Belgian UFO wave yielded a rich volume of good quality cases and many videos and photographs. One strikingly clear photograph of a triangular-shaped craft was taken at Petit Richain in early April 1990. As of 1994, it remained unexplained after numerous analysis, 
including a thorough computerized study at the Royal Military Academy. Although public interest in the Belgian wave reached its peak in the 1990-91 period, Sobeps was still documenting cases as late as 1993. Mark Vaclanier listed the main characteristics of the Belgian UFOs in the latest Sobeps study. Various shapes, such as round, rectangular, and cigar, were reported, but the wave was dominated by triangular objects. Some of their characteristics included irregular displacement, zigzag, instantaneous change of trajectory, etc., displacement following the contours of the terrain, varying speeds of displacement, including very slow motion, stationary flight, hovering, Overflight of urban and industrial centers. Sound effects, faint humming to total silence. Because of the bulk of the Belgian sightings described triangular-shaped objects, many European and American researchers and journalists speculated that these were caused by either F-117A stealth fighters or some other revolutionary U.S. secret military aircraft. However, the only true unusual characteristic of the F-117 is its near invisibility to radar and infrared detection. It looks, flies, and sounds like any other subsonic jet airplane. Similar claims about the presence of other American advanced airplanes are even harder to substantiate. The A-12 Adventure II was never built, and the existence of the TR-3A Manta is unconfirmed. Neither has even been rumored to be able to fly in the manner reported for the Belgian UFOs. I'll give you one more. In Munich, Germany, in 1984, at 11 p.m., four witnesses were lying on a beach and looking into the sky. Suddenly, one of the girls, who had never seen a shooting star in her life, said, Is this a shooting star? What they saw was absolutely breathtaking. Three multicolored lights with a triangle dark shadow between the edges, moved across the sky from west to east. It went from their point of view to the horizon very quickly and was incredibly big. The distances between the lights were about 100 feet. There was absolutely no noise at all. The lights stayed the same distance from one another the whole time they saw it. There was a light dust in the sky from the river. The object was flying at low speed and vanished east in the dust. That's the second time we see vanished in the dust. That's interesting that those exact same words are used in two different cases. It is a weird way to describe something. It either confirms something or somebody is making a false report using information that they've read or heard about from someone else's report. What I find most interesting is the description of the white lights on the corners and the red beacon in the center. It really makes you think. Believe none of what you hear and half of what you read. If you like the show, I'd like to encourage you to help support the show. You can help me out with just $3. Just go to the website and click on support. I would really appreciate the help and would be happy to give you a shout out. Do you have a UFO story you'd like to share? Is there a UFO story that you'd like for me to look into? Just send me an email at UFO and Alien Podcast at gmail.com. I'm Rick Black, and I'll talk to you next time.